blessing that he has given us. And how many of you all in here today and online have been blessed by God? How many of you all, amen, amen. Uh, and how many of you all are, are, are just fired up about being in church today? I, I have been waiting. I, I don't, it, every Sunday afternoon, I'm like, can the next Sunday get here? Because I get so fired up about church, about seeing you all, about having our family together and worshiping God together and watching the blessings that God just bestows on his people. It's just incredible. Uh, well, guys, we are f finishing up our series that, that uh, has been the first time I've ever done a series like this called Keeping God First When You Don't Feel Like It. And so uh, this is the last one we talked about. And, and if, for those of you all that missed the previous four, please go to our YouTube page. You can go in Catalyst Christian Church, Nicholsville, Kentucky, and all of our sermons are there. You can watch them. Please subscribe to our podcast so that you can listen to things. You have a long road trip, and, uh, you know, radio stations uh, in this town are terrible, so you might as well just listen to podcasts. You can listen to our podcast. Um, and I've uh, sitting in car line or whatever, picking up kids, or if, or if you're, uh, yeah, you have a long wait, whatever. But we, all, all of our content is available all, all the time. And we please want to, we want to invite you guys to please access that because uh, it could be life or death. So, but today is part five, and this is called "When God Seems to Bless the Ungodly More Than the Godly." And the main thing today is when God doesn't make sense, our greatest weapon. Is worship. I want to ask you to turn to Psalm 73. You have a print Bible or you have the YouVersion Bible app or, or, or just go online to Psalm 73. We're going to be there the entire time. That's where we're going to be. And this is a very, very important psalm that everybody should have bookmarked in their Bible because it's, it's, it's incredible. And we'll talk about it. My senior year in high school, that was 30 years ago, um, uh, 30 and a half years ago, the day before spring break, uh, I went out for lunch with two of my friends to McDonald's, and that was a violation of the closed campus policy, and our principal happened to be there. And he walked up to us, he recognized us, and said, gentlemen, this is a violation of the closed campus policy, what are you doing here? And my first friend said, going on a college visit. The next one said, yeah, I'm going on a college visit too. And he looked at me and I said, I'm here for the Big Macs. I have no excuse. I wanted McDonald's. And so we went to spring break. It was great. Then on Monday, I got called into the principal's office. I found out I was being suspended for three days. And so I went and found my other two friends and said, man, can you believe we're getting suspended? They're like, we? What are you talking about? And I said, well, I got suspended for three days. What about you? He goes, no, 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 we're fine. We, we didn't get called into the principal's office. So the only one that told the truth was the one that got busted while the ones that lied got off scot-free. And I just questioned whether telling the truth was worth it. Because the liars didn't face any punishment at all. I am the only one that told the truth, and I'm the one that got busted. And I, as, a, as a young man in college, we spent a lot of time talking about what we would do for a living and all that. Our lives were in front of us. And the, one of the things that was said in that time where nice guys finish last. It was, it was a common topic of conversation, according to my classmates, that, that you have to be a cutthroat. You have to be a stab your own mother in the kind of back type person to get ahead in this world. That's the only way you were successful. That was what was routinely discussed in college. And, and so I began to ask, is there any benefit to following God? Is there? Because it, why, why is it that the liars... And the schemers, 
and the backstabbers prosper and do well. They get the deal. They get the, they get the break. They get everything while the people who do the right thing seem to get punished for it. Why is it? Why does God seem to bless the ungodly more than the godly? Why does God seem to love people who hate him and hate those who love him? Those questions are very legitimate. And those questions have been asked since the beginning of time. Don't think you're the first person to ever ask that. Uh, and, there's, and fortunately, the Bible gives us a very good answer to it. And we're going to talk about it today. Uh, a man, the Psalm 73 was written by a man who was older in years. I imagine that he's sitting out there at a fire pit. And he's got his family around him, his kids, his grandkids, maybe his great-grandkids. And they're sitting there roasting some marshmallows or whatever they roasted back then. And he, he says, grandchildren... Great-grandchildren, I want you to listen to me because I'm going to share some wisdom with you. I'm not going to be around much longer, probably. I've got many more years behind me than in front of me. And I want to share with you a moment in my life where I was this close to losing it all. He starts off in Psalm 73, 1, he says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. See, he's, he's an old man, and he's, he's looking. That's the realization he's come to, okay? And he starts off great. He starts off that God is good. But then he says this, Grandchildren, let me tell you about the biggest mistake I almost made. Verse 2 through 5. He said, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped, for I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant, he says, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. See, he's, he's, he's looking back at a time in his life, and he's telling his grandkids about it, where he almost made the biggest mistake. He saw the people that didn't love God, and they were doing great. They were knocking it out of the park. They were getting the deal. They were living in the mansion. They were driving the nice car, and he was looking at the faithful people who were just struggling to get by. And he's saying, what the heck is going on here? He said, I begin to envy the arrogant. I begin to envy the wicked. Possibly he's facing financial stress at this time, or maybe he got a cancer diagnosis or, or some type of, of thing, and he's envying the, these people that, that, Lord, I've been faithful to you, and these people that don't love you, their bodies are healthy and strong. What's going on? Why aren't you, why aren't you cursing them? Why aren't you blessing me? Common, common statement. You know, you look at some faithful pastor in North Korea who's in jail and he's starving. And you look at Bill Gates, the atheist, who has more money and influence than 99.99% of people in the world. And you say, God, how is this fair? You know, what, what's up here? Why do you bless those that hate you and hate, hate those who, who, who love you? He's looking at a world that makes no sense at all. And he asks God, what's the point in following you? He says, grandchildren, looks around at his grandchildren, he says, you're going to ask these questions too because you're going to see this. You're going to see this in life. You're going to see ungodly people doing very well and godly people having a hard time. You're going to see this and you're going to ask the same questions that I asked in my youth. And I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you my, my response because I was in the biggest danger of my life, grandchildren. I was close, this close to chucking it all away. I was this close to walking into a spiritual bear trap that was set for me. Psalm 73, verse 9 through 12, he goes on. He's talking about the arrogant. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. 
In other words, they possess it all. Their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them. They drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the most I know everything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Wow. Not much has changed in 3,000 years, has it? I imagine a lot of us could say the exact same thing today. So he makes six complaints to God. They're very common. I want to see if any of you all are making these comments, these complaints to God here. The first one is this, that they live in prosperity. They're doing so great, and I'm not doing great at all. The second complaint is this, they live without problems. They live carefree. They don't have any problems. That's the second complaint that he makes to God. The third complaint is this, they have it easy. The fourth complaint is they're popular. And I'm speaking to you, the kids in, in school right now, the, the quarter of our, of our church that's under age 18. Yeah, the ungodly, they're the popular ones. They're the jocks. They're the guys are the ones getting all the girls. The girls are the ones that, that don't love you. They're getting all the guys and, and are popular and everything like that. Why is that? He's making that complaint. Number five, fifth complaint, is they have no consequence. They do whatever they want, and they get off scot-free. Boy, that's a good thing that doesn't happen in our country. They do whatever they want, God, and there's no justice. Why would I follow your ways? Nothing happens to them. And the sixth complaint is they go from rich to richer. Lord, here I am struggling to make payments and they're just buying their summer home. What is going on here? Is there any point to following you? Grandchildren, I told God I'd wasted my time following him. He's, he's back, back to the present now. He's, he, he's saying, I said all this to God and then, grandchildren, I looked, I actually looked up at God and I said, It is pointless to follow you. And the grandchildren were like, Granddad, you did what? And he goes, Yeah, look what I said here. In verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. I said, God, I'm done. And the grandkids are like, no way. Granddad, you're serious? And the granddad looks at his grandkids and he says, see, grandkids, I was depressed. I was in a mental state that wasn't good, like a lot of people in America today. I was depressed. And grandchildren, what happens when you get depressed is your brain starts lying to you. Listen, people, your brain starts lying to you. See, Here's reality, and when you get depressed, your brain begins to lie to you and moves you slowly and slowly and slowly and slowly away from reality. And so if you get in that state long enough, then your thoughts, anybody ever gotten alone with their thoughts and they kind of spiraled out of control, maybe late at night, they spiral out of control, and then two hours, three hours later, you're not even living in reality. Well, that's exactly what he's talking about here. And, and he said these things, the, the, the ungodly people, they're, they're, they're knocking out of the park, and, and I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't living reality. See, grandkids, if somebody, I wish somebody would have come up to me and told me, said, hang on a second, 
Hang on a second. Do you really think these people have no consequence? Do you really think these people are, are living carefree? Do you really think they are not having any trouble? See, I, I, grand, grandchildren, I wish somebody had just kind of smacked me and said, get back to reality because my thoughts were spiraling out of control. Common? Unfortunately, here in America, we get offended when someone tries to bring us back to reality. We get offended when somebody tells us our thoughts are not right, when we say that these are wrong. We get offended because you're supposed to be compassionate to me. Well, compassion, there's a place for that. There's also a place for truth. And he said, I wish somebody would have just brought me back to reality. He'd gotten inside his own head and his thoughts were running wild. And that's where this man is. He's telling his grandchildren to look out for it. He looks at them and he says, 3,000 years from now in a a country called America in 2022, there's going to be this really popular thing called deconstructing. And all the big name Christian people are going to do it. They're going to deconstruct. It's going to sound so intellectual. It's going to sound so cool. It's going to sound so hip. And all the cool kids are going to do it. Okay, it's called deconstructing. It's gonna, there's gonna be uh, big Christian rock stars. They're like, what's a Christian rock star? And the guy goes, exactly. Okay, uh, Christian rock stars are gonna walk away from their faith. People like Gunger, people like Kevin Max from DC Talk and Audio Adrenaline are gonna deconstruct. And the, the, the son of famous evangelist Tony Campolo, Bart Campolo, is gonna deconstruct. And uh, people, authors like Joshua Harris are gonna deconstruct and they're gonna walk away from their faith and make a big, huge public spectacle of it. And he said, grandchildren, I was this close to deconstructing. He goes, but something happened, grandchildren. Number four, something happened that changed everything. I was slipping down the slope, but something happened. And the grandchildren were like, well, what was it? What changed you? Because that certainly doesn't describe you now. What happened? And the granddad says this, verse 15 and 17, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. What did he do? He went to church. He got together with God's people and he got his mind off of what he was looking at in the world and got his mind onto the greatness of God. Worship changed Everything, And if you don't think that worship changes everything, you don't know what worship is. This man says, I was so far, I was falling, I was about to walk away from it, I was about to make the biggest mistake of my life. And you know what changed it? It wasn't a sermon, it wasn't a, a nice sounding pep talk, it wasn't a TED talk, it wasn't, it, it was worship. When I got my mind and my heart off of my own complaints and off of my own problems and off of my own petty little nonsense and I got out of my head and I got focused on God, that is what changed everything. And I'm going to challenge you guys to do the same thing. When this is going on, when you're questioning it all, I want you guys to get outside of your own self and out of your own head and get your focus on the greatness and glory of God. Look what happens to this man here after he worships. Verse 18, 22. Surely you place them on slippery ground. Whoa, 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 hang on. Is this... 
He's talking about the same people that they just have no problems and they go from rich to richer and no consequences. Now all of a sudden, look what he's saying here. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. And he's like, whoa. Hang on, I was envying these people. I thought these people had it made. And then I went and worshiped God and he changed everything, changed my perspective. And then I saw, I saw the, I saw the final destination and I want nothing to do with it. And he says this, God showed me their future grandchildren. He said, they exist for about as long as a dream does. That's what he says here in scripture. Anybody know how long a dream lasts? I was a psych major, said a lot about dreams. You know how long a, a dream actually lasts? Most dreams last 10 seconds. The average dream lasts about five minutes, some as long as 20, but the, but, the, but the majority of dreams last 10 seconds or less. Yeah, that's what he's saying here. These people are gonna last 10 seconds from an eternity standpoint. He goes, and over 90% of dreams are forgotten the moment you wake up. Did you know that? These people are gonna be forgotten like a dream. He said, worship. Change that. These people I was envying, these people that I thought had it made, they're going to last about 10 seconds. And they're going to be erased. Wow. I will never forget the quote wall in my high school English class. There was a quote wall where the teacher allowed uh, people to write any quote they wanted. She had written some up there. My English teacher loved Friedrich Nietzsche the atheist, the adamant atheist, and she wrote in the center of the wall, God is dead and I have killed him, Nietzsche. Well, underneath that, some, some student prior to me had written, Nietzsche is dead and I have killed him, God. And the, the, the intellectual climate back then, you could say anything you wanted, so the teacher left it up. And it was, it was this amazing thing, and I, and I thought to myself, Nietzsche's Long gone, God is still here. I'll never forget that. So my question is this. Where are the atheists who have cursed God their lives? Where are they? They're here for a little bit, then they're gone. Where are the rulers who've persecuted the church throughout history? Where are they? Where's Stalin? Where's the Emperor Nero? who burned Christians in his garden? Where is Marcus Aurelius, one of the most vicious persecutor of Christians? I can't stand when people quote him. Where are the rulers of Muslim countries that kill Christians? Where are they? Where's Madeline Murray O'Hare, who got prayer removed from, uh, from public schools? Where is she? Where is John Lennon, one of my favorite musicians who claimed that the Beatles were bigger than Jesus? Where are they? They're all gone. All of them. And we are still here. Exactly what Psalm 73 said, how quickly were these people destroyed. How quickly God cast them down to ruin, how completely swept away. This man is looking back, he's, he's, he's lived a long time, and he's looking back at this moment when he was a young man where he almost deconstructed, almost chucked it all, and he has a lifetime of experience watching these people that curse God just get swept away, just boom, their lives fall apart, bam. And he's like, I 
was almost one of them. And grandchildren, please do not be like this. Do not envy these people. They're here for a moment, and then they're gone. Okay? So he looks at that, looking back at that moment where he realized the truth, then he looks at himself, and he tells his grandchildren this. Because I was senseless and ignorant here in verse uh, uh, verse 21. My spirit heart was grieved, my spirit embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast. Before I wasn't even thinking clearly, is what he said. He looks at himself. Then he says, he looks up at God, and he says this. Grandchildren, last thing I'm going to say is the greatest treasure on earth is God. That's the greatest treasure. He says this. I love this. Remember, worship was the changing point. Remember what the first part of this psalm, this is the same guy speaking. Then worship, then look what happens. He says this, yet I am always with you, talking to God. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into your glory. In other words, he's saying, God, you counsel me, you're with me, you're my friend, you've never forsaken me. When I, 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 you guide me with your counsel, your word directs me, keeps me from this pitfall and this mistake and this blowing up in my face. You guide me with counsel, and when I die, you're going to take me to heaven with you. You're the greatest. You're everything. And he says this, whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire beside you. Whoa, hang on. He says, earth has nothing I desire beside you. What was he saying earlier? He was saying, they just get richer. They just, they, they, he was envying these people, and, he, and then worship changed it all. He said, earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish, he writes. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made, it, made my, the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. I don't know if anyone in here is on their way to deconstructing. That's the cool phrase for walking away from your faith, for apostasy. It's been going on since time immemorial, but it just sounds so intellectual, deconstructing. It's the cool thing. All the cool kids are doing it, apparently. I don't know if anyone is on their way to doing that. This guy was, and he's looking back on it as the worst mistake that he would have made in his life. And he's begging next generations not to do it. He said, don't be destroyed. Don't be destroyed. And I know you're not supposed to bet in church. Actually, that's not in the Bible, but it's just stupid. But I have assurances that God is okay with this right now, okay? So I'm going to give you guys three bets, all right? I'm going to give you three bets, and I want you to make a bet. Now, you have to bet your entire life savings on it, okay? No $5 bets, no $2 minimums, you know, that kind of thing. You have to, it's all or nothing. You have to bet your house. You have to bet the car. You have to bet the life savings, the retirement, all future income, everything on these bets, okay? You guys ready? Okay, first bet is this. A tortoise and a hare are lined up for a race. The gun goes off, the hare sprints out, and the tortoise plods along. Now, you have to bet the whole deal. You have to bet the whole life savings, the house, the car, the money, the everything 
on who is going to win. Who, how many of you all bet on the hair? One person doesn't know the story. Okay. The rest of you bet on the tortoise, right? Why? Because you know how it ends, exactly. But in that moment, didn't it seem like the hare was winning? Okay? Didn't it look like in that moment, because you hadn't seen the end of the race, in that moment it looked like the hare was winning? The person that walks away from God because they see the prosperity of the wicked is like a person who bets their life savings on the hare. Because it seems... In the short term, they're doing well, okay? Second bet, the year is 1940. You are standing in Paris, France, and you're watching Nazi tanks roll down Main Street. Hitler has taken over most of Western Europe, and and he's taken over Poland, he's taken over France. He has pushed uh, the Allies out. It is 1940. Now, your friend says, got to bet the whole life savings, who is going to be in charge of France in five years in 1945? Is it going to be Adolf Hitler, or is it going to be the French government? Who's going to be in charge? How many of you all would bet Adolf Hitler? All right, got some history majors here. Why would you not bet on Adolf Hitler? Because five years later, he had committed suicide in a bunker and Germany was accepting unconditional surrender. But if you lived in 1940 in Paris, you think it's all over. You would be asking God, why? Why is Hitler prospering? Why are we who've done everything right? Why why are we getting uh, persecuted by the Nazis? Why did we get invaded? God, aren't you gonna do something? See, guys, in the short term, Sometimes it looks like the wicked prosper. But history is full of times when, uh, when, when they, the, it's only a short-term thing. Third bet, and this is the best one. The year is 33 AD. You're standing on a hillside outside Jerusalem, staring at the body of a dead carpenter-turned-rabbi named Jesus on a cross. You look out and you see the Roman Empire, you see the soldiers, you see the palaces, you see the the extent, the roads, the glory of the Roman Empire extending as far as the eye can see all the way around the Mediterranean. They've conquered land after land after land after land. They've conquered your native, uh, uh, your native Israel. They are, they are there, there are Roman troops sitting in your home. And a friend comes up and says, hey, in 2,000 years, who is going to be in charge? This Jesus of Nazareth or the Roman Empire? How many of you all would have bet the Roman Empire? Hmm. No one. See, guys, sometimes the prosperity of the wicked skews our minds. But look, not one of you all took any one of those three bets that I just asked. Not one. Why? Because you know how the story ends. As a matter of fact, the Roman Empire's defeat is so thorough and so complete, and Jesus' victory is so absolute 
that we name our children after his disciples and our dogs after emperors. We name our kids Matthew and Paul and name our dogs Caesar and Brutus. Okay? We do. The Roman Empire, which thought they could destroy Christ, is in the dustbin of history, and today Jesus of Nazareth is worshipped and followed by more than two billion people on this planet. Okay? God does not bless the ungodly more than the godly. Don't get fooled by a short term, a blink of success of the wicked. Do not be fooled by that. This writer in the psalm is begging his grandchildren, do not be deceived when you see this. I almost fell for it. I almost bet the life savings on the hair. I almost bet the life savings on Hitler. I almost bet the life savings on Roman Empire. I almost chucked it all because all I saw was their success. But look how it ended up for them. And it will end up the same way for every person who denies Jesus Christ. It will end up the same way. So if you have never confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have never surrendered your life to him, This writer, this psalm writer, this guy would say, what are you thinking? I have seen it through my life. I've seen these people that are doing well, and then I've seen them utterly destroyed. Please, grandchildren, follow me. I say the same thing to you. Stay faithful, church. If you're discouraged today, I pray that you're encouraged Get your mind and your focus off of your circumstances and off of the evil and wicked people in this world. They're like a blink, okay? That's all they are. Get your mind and your heart focused on the greatness and the glory of God. And everything changes. Stay faithful. You know, don't be discouraged by reports that the church is in decline. Don't be discouraged by that. I'm not discouraged by that. Every generation says that. Every generation has said, yeah, the church is in decline, soon it's going to die. You know that, right? When my dad and my mom were in school in the 60s, all they heard was, oh, the church is going down. The church is, you know, it's off. It's going to die in a generation. Heard that. You know, there are more people in church this Sunday morning in America than went to sporting events yesterday or today. Do you know that? The church isn't going anywhere. Faith is not going anywhere. Every person that has tried to destroy it has themselves been destroyed. Christianity is dying. The church will soon be dead, said every empire in the dustbin of history. Roman Empire tried to destroy it. Roman Empire is gone. Christianity is still here. Ottoman Empire tried to destroy it. Ottoman Empire is gone. Church is still here. The, the, uh, uh, every, every, uh, the Soviet Union tried to destroy it. You just go through history. Every, everybody who's ever tried to destroy the church, they have themselves been destroyed. So don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Do not be, uh, do not be deceived by the prosperity, the short-term prosperity of the wicked or the ungodly because Psalm 73 tells us is true. They're like a dream. Last 10 seconds and forgotten. 2,000 years ago, it sure looked like Jesus was defeated. Now he's the most recognized name on the planet, followed by more than two billion people in this world. So don't be discouraged. 
Don't deconstruct. Stay faithful, church, because God does not bless the ungodly more than the godly. He blesses those who stay faithful to him and run the race until the end. Let's not worry about the hare sprinting out. Let's be the tortoise that finishes the race. I hope that by the end of our lives, the end of every person in here is going to die at some point. I hope that every single one of you will cross the finish line telling God, I stayed faithful. I didn't quit. I didn't deconstruct. I didn't do what the cool kids were doing. I stayed faithful, Lord. And now I'm looking back, I'm telling my grandchildren the same thing that this guy is telling his. Stay faithful. God is our greatest treasure. God bless you, church. You guys are awesome. Love you. And we'll see you next Sunday.